past six years, I've been pastoring in Arab, Alabama, so just down the road. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, but my wife, Heather, Heather, wave at everybody. I have to make sure to embarrass her. So, um, but she's back there in the back. We, we uh, started attending temple way back when, when we were in the little building, back when it was the, uh, the rock was actually our sanctuary. Um, our first service that we ever came to, there was about 100 people. I remember the very first Easter service that we ever came to, and we were thrilled to death at 204 people. There are more people in the room tonight than what there were on our very first Easter service. And so, uh, but anyway, so we've been around for a long time and are excited to get to be uh, able to come and to share the word with you tonight. And uh, like I said, um, Temple is our home. Um, this is, uh, I got called to preach here for four years. I went off to Bible college and uh, up at Victory in North Augusta, South Carolina. Came back after Bible college and then I spent five years on staff um, before going off to Arab. And so this is just like getting to come home to us. But um, it's a little bit different for me tonight because in a way it's like I'm coming home to a different family. Yeah, I mean, so if you just imagine going to your house whenever you get ready and somebody sitting on your couch, watching your TV, eating your Cheetos, that's kind of the way I feel right now. So, <laughs> but, uh, so it's good to meet all of y'all. So, um, how many of you um, do not know me? How, just by the resume, you've never met Wow, that's most of y'all. So let's do it like this. How many of you actually know who I am? We have talked, we've had a conversation, you hug my neck, tell me, hey, okay, there's six of y'all. Man, I am totally outnumbered tonight. But it, it is good to be here. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians in chapter number 4. Philippians chapter 4. There's two verses in Philippians chapter number 4 that, uh, that are really popular, that get preached on all the time. And most anybody, if I were to ask you, what's the most popular verse in the book of Philippians? You're going to say it's Philippians 4. 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we, we, all, uh, we all know that one, and we're going to talk about that one just a little bit, but that's not the primary verse that I want to uh, start with tonight. So let's do this. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we're going to dive right into the message tonight. I was told I have till 9 o'clock, so we're, I, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for everybody that came out to hear your word tonight and to be encouraged and lifted up. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to do that. God, I pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit on me tonight. That God, as I bring this word, that um, it touches hearts and it helps people. And, and God, as uh, we face tomorrow and on with our next week, or the, the trials that we're facing tonight, God, you would give us help and strength through those. We pray that you would continue to bless Temple. Lord, that you'd be with Brother Malcolm, help him to, to get rest and relaxation and all the fun that he's having um, on this vacation. Lord, bring him back rejuvenated, on fire, and ready to continue what you've placed in his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're in Philippians chapter 4, say amen. amen. All right, we're going to go down to verse 10, and the Bible says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. 
I have learned that whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. I want to talk tonight and just kind of share my heart on some things uh, that I believe that the Lord has showed me about the area of contentment. The area of contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is this mythical beast that's off in the deepest, darkest cave, in the deepest hole, and then when you get down there, he's a million years old and he's almost dead and he's not worth anything anymore, right? That's, kind of, that's what the devil would have us to think. That's what the world would have us to think, that, 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 in t- that contentment is extinct, that you can't be content in this life. And then there are those of us that we, we strive for contentment and we want to have contentment, but we have a, a, a skewed view of what contentment really is. So my goal tonight is uh, to share with you what I believe the Scripture says and what God has showed me about contentment and how you can be truly content. Because a lot of times when we talk about contentment, it seems absolutely miserable, doesn't it? We think about contentment as something that's absolutely miserable. And I want to shine some light on this subject tonight. And hopefully it will be something that helps you. So let's continue reading. Verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my afflictions. Now, he's talking to the church at Philippi, who was one of the churches that was really near and dear to his heart. And Paul, as a missionary, he was going, planting churches, and he would hang out at that church for a while. He would establish some elders, get everything going, and then he would go on to the next place, and he would start a church, and he would establish elders, and he would get everything going, and, he would, and so on and so on. That was his heart in his way of managing and sharing and spreading the gospel was not just coming to a place, filling a coliseum, preaching the gospel and leaving. No, he came and he planted and established churches. And so Paul is writing to this church and they have, at one time they were able to give unto his need, they were able to, to address him and they were able to supply for him and then they got to a point to where for whatever reason they weren't doing it and he was like, you know, not that I speak of need because I'm content. And then he goes on to saying this, that they had done well and they communicated with him in his affliction. Verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once again unto my necessity. So he's thanking them for this care package, this gift that he's got. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I'm not telling you this so that you'll send me another gift. I'm telling you this so that you will know that God is going to bless your efforts. How many of you like to know that God's going to bless your efforts? Amen. Now, it's not any fun just spinning your wheels and going on and on and on and on and on and then never seeing any results. Many times we do that and it's called insanity. We just keep doing the same thing expecting a different result. He says in verse 18... But I have all 
and abound. I am full, having received of Ephroditus the thing which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. That's that second verse that I was talking about earlier that you hear preached on a lot. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to give you just a, a, a quick thought about contentment and this man named Paul that is writing this letter. Because he says when he's starting out, there is a key that he gives us in the very beginning of this subject, contentment. He said, I have learned. I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in there to be content. If you read the other stories, the other epistles that Paul wrote, he does not sound like a content dude. He doesn't. He doesn't sound like a guy that's just like, hey, whatever state I'm in, there with to be content. He doesn't sound like that when he's saying, I have, fought, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. And then he encourages the church. He says, now what you need to do, you need to run your race. And you also need to realize that as you run the race, at the end of the race, there is a prize. That does not sound like contentment to me. That sounds like competitiveness. You're supposed to say amen right there. I was right. Amen means you're right, preacher. Keep going. So, but he says, he says, there is a prize at the end of this race. I'm not content running for no reason. I run on a treadmill almost every day. There's nothing out in front of me. There's a little TV. I'm watching some HGTV, some fixer-upper or something every morning. I'm sitting, and I can't run to HGTV. I can't run. I'm running in one place. But I have a goal for why I'm running. I want to stay in shape and be able to run further and longer and all. But he's saying at the end of this route, at the end of this race, there is a prize to obtain. So run all that ye may receive the prize. That's not contentment. That's competitive. Then he gives another illustration about a boxer. And he's talking about these two men that get in the ring. And he says, now look, you wouldn't just jump up in the ring. And he said, you wouldn't go up against a skilled opponent as one that beats at the air. Have you ever seen, have you ever Googled just sissy fights or anything like that? You know, I mean, that's, that's what he's talking about. He said, you, you wouldn't want to go into a ring against a skilled boxer and you're one that just beats at the air. He's, Don't do that. He said, if you're going to fight, you need to fight to win. I don't know anybody that likes to get punched in the face. I've never, I've never met anybody that was just like, you know, he beat the mess out of me and I loved every minute of it. No. He said, I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight to win. Have no desire to lose. I don't see Paul in those portions of scriptures and in those illustrations as being a content guy. I see him as being very competitive. I see my boys in these scriptures. Because I have two boys, one's 19, one's 15, and they are daylight and dark. Anybody got kids that are just totally different from one another? I mean, like, how did these come from the same people, you know? And my oldest son, he is so competitive. Like, he will not do anything if he does not think that he's going to win. And then my youngest son, on the other hand, if it gets real competitive, it's more about you beating him than it is just about everybody doing their best. He don't want to play no more. He's like... If, if we can't all just do good and have a good time, I don't want to be a part of it. And then the oldest one is like, no, I want to beat the snot out of you. 
That's, they're just different. They're, one is competitive and the other one is content when it comes to the area of sports and things like that. Just different. They're different. Contentment. So if Paul, if Paul's nature if, is not content, by the way, none of our nature is content. None of us are just naturally content. He says he had to learn to be content. If you've got kids, you know that. If you've got two little ones, you can take two three-year-old boys. Well, let's go younger than that. You can take two 18-month-old boys. And you can take Billy and Tommy, and you can give both of them a red Power Ranger. Identical to one another. And you can put them in a room. And for about 30 minutes, they'll be the happiest two little boys there ever were. But in just a little bit, Billy is going to go to Tommy and he is going to rip his Red Power Ranger out of his hand. He's going to play with both of them. And when Tommy tries to take it back, what is Billy going to say? Mine! We are not naturally content. So Paul's saying, I'm not naturally content. I have this competitive nature, but I have learned how to be content. We have to learn contentness. But the only way we can learn how to be content is if we understand what content really means. Because we have a skewed view of what it is. Number one. How many of you got your notes? Everybody got some notes? We got notes? All right, good deal. Number one. First, I want to talk about the misconception of contentment. The misconception of contentment. You see, we have, like I've said a skewed view of what contentment really is. It's mixed up in our mind. And that really comes from a skewed view of who God really is. Did y'all hear my voice? God really is. I don't know what that was about. Of who God really is. We see God as a God of restrictions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do... Now there is a lot to that. There are a lot of things that God tells us not to do, but He's not restricting us. He's protecting us. Amen? God says don't have sex before you get married because he doesn't want you to wind up with some kind of disease. Right? That's not popular to talk about that anymore, I know, but it's just the truth. He says you you don't need to start living your life and operating in such a way that you're a family even though you're not a family and you haven't come together underneath the vows of matrimony and all this. You don't need to do that because what you're going to do is you're not going to have any accountability and you're just going to up and leave. Ladies, you're giving him the door. You're giving him the opportunity to just kick the door open and walk out. So, yes, there are those, don't do this, don't do that. Your body's a temple. I understand all that. But God is not simply a God of restriction. As a matter of fact, he's the opposite. He's a God of freedom. Whom the Son has set free, he is free indeed. He's a God of freedom. But see, we see him a lot of times as a God of restriction. And can I say this about contentment equals freedom. It really does. When you are content in an area, then you will truly be free. Chapter 1 of the book of Philippians tells us how to be free from fear. Chapter 2 tells us how to be free from our flesh. The misconceptions of contentment. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a precursor right here. I'm fixing to step on some toes, but only because I love you, okay? 
It's, uh, I, and, and it's not going. It's not going to be like one of them stomp on it and twist and all that. We're going to stomp on it and it's going to be done. The misconceptions of contentment. The first one, you need to know about contentment. We think that misconception is comfort. I'm sorry, we think that contentment is comfort. Contentment is not comfort. It doesn't mean the same thing. As a matter of fact, this is what God told me this week. I told my wife this week. I said, God told me today that mis, or I'm sorry, that contentment is not comfort. And not only is it not comfort, I can take it one step further and tell you this. I believe that comfort is the enemy of contentment. And I can prove it. I'm really comfortable in my pajamas. But I was not content to come up here and preach him today. <laughs> I've told you, uh, I've been pastoring in Arab for the past six years. For five and a half years, I was at Pleasant Valley Baptist Church. God called me from here to go to there. And man, we saw God do some amazing things. We saw over 50 people saved. We remodeled the sanctuary, updated the sound system. We went from $200,000 of debt to February. Whenever I resigned, we had $3,000. One more building payment to make, and we were debt-free. We saw God do some amazing things. Things while we're there. And we praised God for them. And I mean, we just, I mean, we had a big time, have some wonderful, wonderful friends that are still at church there. But God told me a year ago to leave. He told me a year ago, He said, You are not going to, my heart is to be somewhere for the rest of my life. And He showed me that you're not going to be here for the rest of your life. A year ago. And so for a year, I battled, God, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to leave? How am I going to go? How am I... You know why I couldn't do it? Because I was comfortable. Do you know why I was comfortable? Because I have a little paint business. But then on top of that, the church was giving me $31,000 a year. I don't know about y'all, but an extra $31,000 is pretty legit. Y'all might make a lot more money than that, but I mean, if you... But, so between my little paint business and the salary that I was getting from my church, I was bumping like that $70,000 a year mark. And so, I mean, I had gotten comfortable with that money. And so here I am, I'm comfortable, and because I'm comfortable, I'm wanting to stay in a place where I'm not content. God showed me I was supposed to go. And, and, and it was all types of things. And to make a long story short, God put vision in my heart and in my mind. And he showed me where he wanted to take me. He put a drive inside of me. And I, was, and I just knew from, if I stayed, those things were never going to happen. That I was being held back. And it was time for me to go. But because of the comfort that I was in, I could not turn loose. Even though I was miserable and ill-content. And in case this actually winds up out on the internet, somebody from there over there gets, I was not miserable in the way that you think miserable, like, hey, I hate being here. It wasn't that. It was, I'm not going to get to see what God wants me to see if I stay. And that crushed my heart and killed my spirit for almost a year until one day I said, all right, God, I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I came home. And I told my wife, she said, how was church tonight? And I said, because she was skipping church. I said, 
she's over there. She's, she's putting strikes on a piece of paper right now. She said, that's one. So, that might have been two. I don't know. But she said, how was church tonight? I said, I'm resigning Sunday. She said, do what? I said, I'm, I said, I'm resigning. I said, it's time. I said, it's time to go. I was comfortable, and it was the enemy of my contentment. I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in there with to be content, I couldn't be content in the state that I was in because I was comfortable. Not only is contentment not comfort, but contentment is not giving up on your dreams. Contentment is not giving up on your dreams. How many times have we said, oh, I would like to see this, or I would like to have that, or I would like to achieve this, or I would like for this to be part of my life, and then we go, but if it never happens, it just must not have been God's will. You ever know anybody like that? I've said many times we have a skewed view of what contentment is. I, there's a, a lot of times what we'll see is there is a solemnness that we put on the word contentment that's not supposed to be there. There's, there's a heaviness, a weight that we'll put on that word contentment that's not supposed to be there. I'm reminded of a, of a group that, or a couple that was in one of our life groups when we were here at Temple. A great couple, super fun. We loved them to death. We would go bowling and she would get a strike. And she would, ooh, ooh, ooh. I mean, I'm talking about like she's embarrassing all of us at the bowling alley. I mean, he, he bowls. Bowls a strike and he's like, yeah. We would go to small group. We sit down, you know how you do it. If you go to life group, you get in your life group, you sit in a circle, and you say, okay, we would like to start. Who's, who's got a praise? Who wants to start us with praises? And he'd come around to him or her, and their praise was always something like this. Well, I guess I'm thankful that the car didn't break down again this week. I mean, and we're all going, where was, whoop, whoop, bring her back. That's the one, we, you know. That's what we're thinking is where did she go? But she, she automatically associated small group, the scripture, spirituality with some sort of boredom and some sort of person that nobody wants to be. God does not want you to be that person. He said that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I don't know about you, but I'd be way more content with an abundant life. Now, I'm not preaching some sort of prosperity gospel, but I'm not preaching a poverty gospel either. I'm not going to tell you God's going to give you a mansion, but I'm also not going to tell you that he's going to tell you to trade your home in for a mud hut. You know why y'all are laughing? Because you know the person that's just like the person that I'm talking about right now. Everybody in here has got somebody in their mind that you know. Hopefully you're not sitting beside him or her. <laughs> Contentment's not giving up on your dreams. Contentment is not giving up on what God... Why would God put something in your heart that he didn't want you to have? 
Why would he put a vision in a great desire to go after? You know what? I had to leave Pleasant Valley because he put a vision in a great desire in my heart that I realized was always going to be held back. The reins were always going to be gone. And I had to say, I'm not content here. I may be comfortable, but I would rather be... And, and I'm not saying this to sound super spiritual. I took a $31,000 a year pay cut and began, and I started another church. I say I started. We're in the pre-launch area, whatever you want to call it. We're in the pre-launch stage of our church right now. September 16th, if you can remember that, please pray for September the 16th because we are launching Life Spring Church in Arab, Alabama. And I am more content than I've ever been, even though I took a $31,000 pay cut. Why? Because I didn't have to give up on my dream to be able to see what God wants me to do. You say, you sound like a church splitter. <laughs> no. We have a, well, we can debate that however you want to debate it. <laughs> but I have a dream. I have a dream to see a bunch of people saved in the town of Arab. I have, I have, I have a dream. I'm, I'm not Martin Luther King. But I have... I have, I, have a, I have a dream and a vision to get to, to see God do some amazing things. And I'm just goofy enough to say, I think he can use me to do it. And if you don't think that he can use you to do it, then he ain't going to never use you to do it. And as long as you're sitting back giving up on your dreams, you'll never be content. You'll never be happy with what God has Misconceptions of contentment. C. This is where you get your toes stepped on a little bit, okay? Contentment is not an excuse for fear. Contentment is not an excuse for fear. You're afraid to go out. You're afraid to start that new business. You're, you're afraid to start that new ministry. You're afraid to step... Oh, yeah, Miss Belisa's done asked you 17 times to teach the kids, and you're afraid to do it. Oh, I'm just good where I'm at. I'll just keep shaking hands once every nine weeks. That's the front. Come on. I know they don't got so many people running around here now. If you're going to be a door greeter, you know, it's like, you know, you get to do it once a year. It's like... Contentment is not an excuse for your fear. Being afraid to step forward and then sitting back and saying, I'm just content doing what I'm doing. Because you're afraid. You're a coward if you're using contentment as an excuse to step out and do what God wants you to do. See, I was talking about comfort and content. Sometimes those things can be confused. You can say, well, well I'm, I'm comfortable I'm comfortable where I'm at, but are you content where you're at? And so here I was thinking, because I was comfortable, I was supposed to be content. Because I was comfortable, I thought that I was supposed to be content, but really what it boiled down to is I was afraid. I was a coward. I, was, I, I didn't want to hurt nobody's feelings. 
We all like that, right? Every, I don't know about y'all. So I know people all the time that say, I don't care if you like me or not. I just take you or leave you. I'm not like that. I want every person in this room to love me. I do. I want y'all, like when it's all over, everybody's coming by and giving me high fives and hugs. And I mean, I love it. I, I, I'm just that way. I want everybody to love me. I can't stand the thought of somebody being mad at me or somebody being hurt with me. And I definitely, I cannot even fathom, and I hate the thought of losing a friend because of a decision that I made. But that's fear. And sometimes if you make a decision, well, let me say this, every time, if you make a decision to move forward for God, to get into the place that He wants you to be, and you lose a friend over it, then that person was not a friend anyway. I'm sorry if I'm being a little too personal and preaching from my heart, but I just want you to understand that contentment is not what we think it is. Brother Scott, you've done said all these things about what contentment's not. And I realize it's not comfort and giving up my dreams and excuse for my fears. What is it? Here's this. God gave me this about three months ago, and it rocked my world. Contentment is, this, I think this is actually on your notes. Contentment is the confidence that where you are right now is on the path to where God has taken you. Now, see, I was in a place where where I was at right then was no longer the path for me. It was, it was the path six years ago when I got there. And it was the path three years ago. And it was the path four years ago. But I got to a place where it wasn't the path to where God wanted to take me. And he revealed that to me. Slowly over time, I saw more and more and more. And, you know, I said I knew for a year that I wasn't going to be there for the rest of my life. I probably knew for three I just was hoping it was going to change. I said, God, change your mind for me. I don't know if you ever do that, but I argue and wanted God to change it. But that was the thing. That's what contentment is. Contentment is that freedom. Contentment is that confidence in knowing that where you are right now is on the path to where God is taking you. Can you say that about your job? Are you content in your job because you know it's where you're supposed to be because it's on the path to where God's going to take you? Can, can you say that about the ministry that you're, that you're working in? Are you content in that because you know it's on the path? To where, for example, let's say you want to teach adults, but you ain't never taught nobody. You probably need to start out teaching some kids for two reasons. One, they're not going to know when you mess up. Two, they're not listening anyway. No, I mean... <laughs> I just looked back and saw Miss Carla, and she is a kid's wizard. Like, she, like, she can do it. But anyway, they pay attention to her. She snaps her and Miss Anita, they snap them back into shape, and they go. Anyway. So you would probably want to start out teaching kids. And then eventually you're going to be like, you know what? I, I, I'm comfortable because I know they're not listening, and I know I'm not, if I mess up, it's not, but I'm not content. And then you would move forward into where God wants you to and be able to teach some adults. Or maybe, maybe you want to teach adults and you go, well, I don't really know how to teach adults. I don't know my Bible that well yet. Maybe you need to step up and lead a life group. 
I'm not the life groups pastor at this church, but I support life groups. I do. I love them. Maybe it's time for you to step up and lead a life group. But let me tell you about leading a life group. You get in there and you get the preacher's notes. And then you get to ask the questions that the preacher made up. You read and you talk about what the preacher said. And then God starts showing you some things and you get to just kind of fill in the blanks in the small group of what, with what God has given you. And, and there you go. And that puts you into that area to where you're moving forward on that path that God's got you. Contentment is the confidence that where you are right now is on the path to where God is taking you. I don't know if that helps anybody or not, but that helped me when God gave it to me. So, Brother Scott, how am I going to be content? How am I going to be content? The method of contentment. Number two is the method of contentment. The method of contentment. I'm going to give you four real quick we may be done a little bit early, I don't know. I've said that before and then went over. So, uh, The first thing you're going to need to do, the first thing that you have to do, if you're going to be content, we find it in verse 10, the very first part of it says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. You have to remember to rejoice. Remember to rejoice. I heard a fellow say one time, he said, you've got to rejoice by choice. Amen? You, you got you to rejoice when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. If this is what happens. And I see this all the time. On Sunday morning, you come in and like there's somebody over here. And I mean, the Holy Spirit is just on you. You've had a great week. Like you got a check in the mail that you didn't know you were supposed to get. And I mean, your, your light bill was due. And then you got this check and you were able to pay that bill. And so you come in here and you're like, whoo. Man, the Lord is good to me. I, didn't, I don't know how this happened, but it all worked out and God fixed everything. And here we go. And this person over here is shouting victory over what God's done. But then there's a person over here that's three months behind on their house payment, don't know how they're going to handle their car insurance, and they got a kid that is driving them crazy. And the last thing they want to do is put their hand in the air. That person that's going through all those difficult situations, whether it's finances or family or whatever it may be, you got to look beyond all the people that are worshiping because it looks like they feel like it. And you got to decide that you're going to worship and you're going to trust because He's worthy, not because He's done anything, not because, not because He owes you anything, or not because of anything that you don't have because you think He's like forgot about you. You just do it because He is worthy of it. He is good all the time, whether you see it, whether you can interpret it. You know what He is, you know what he is capable of. And so therefore, you worship Him. You rejoice by choice. You turn it on because you can. Whether you feel like it or not, you got to remember to rejoice. You got to remember. It's easy to remember to complain. It's easy to sit back and focus on all the negative. I'm about, I wish I was content getting rid of my Facebook. But I'm friends with a bunch of y'all, and then I wouldn't see y'all stuff. But, but I'm about sick and tired 
of all the complaining. They'll complain about Hillary. They'll complain about Donald. They'll complain about... I mean, and it's, it's non-stop. Non-stop. I think either one of them could cure cancer and the person on the other side would complain about it. Start carrying around posters. We want our cancer back. You know, I mean... By the way, for those of you guys that know me, I meant to say this in my introduction. I don't have cancer. I mean, I, I, and I say that seriously, not poking fun at cancer, but I get asked that a lot because I've lost 65 pounds and then I started shaving my head. And, so, and I had a heart attack two years ago. And so everybody is, because I get a little bit wound up. But, so, and so everybody's asking me, are you sick? Are you sick? Are you sick? But anyway, that's just a commercial. Run that rabbit. I, I'm not sick. I'm, I'm perfectly healthy. I'm in the best shape that I've been in in a, a long, long time. So uh, just to clear that up, because people ask me that a lot. But people, you could find stuff to be negative about. You find, you could find stuff to be hateful over. And I think that's what people want. They just, you ever met somebody just want to be mad? We call those people crazy. That's what we call them. <laughs> Just want to be mad. You got to remember to rejoice. You got to set aside Facebook. You got to set aside NBC, ABC, MSNBC. All you got to set aside all that stuff and say, God, you are worthy of all my praise. Before you ever enter in the doors on Sunday morning, you need to come in with an attitude of gratitude. Ready to praise. Because if you don't, I, I, if you don't praise him, if you don't come in with a heart full of praise, you won't be content. You cannot be a Christian who is content if you are not worshiping the one that made you who you are. It just ain't gonna happen. You will not be content if you don't praise. B's already up here. You gotta refuse to resent. Now, I don't know how all this played out, but I know Paul said something about it to them in their letter. When he's writing it to the uh, church of Philippi, he says, That now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you, you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. You used to take care and send me some stuff, and then you just quit. And I know you wish that you could have, but you lacked opportunity. I'm glad you're doing it again. You know, he had the opportunity there to be like, I've really been struggling without the care packages. I, I, I mean, I, I really could have used some help out here. Here I was, and I, I was out trying to share the gospel, and I was out trying to, to, to spread hope and love and Jesus to everybody, and I was hungry, and you didn't send nothing to me. That's where we want to go with it, ain't it? You didn't do anything to help me. And we want to whine and complain, and we want to get into that place or somebody will do you wrong. Somebody will get, do you wrong and you want to hold on to that resentment. And, 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 we're, and it's in our nature that we... Well, and I've been guilty of saying things like this. I can give somebody for a lot of things, but I don't know if I can forgive them for that. That don't sound nothing like Jesus, does it? It don't. You got to refuse to resent. Every time I had a person that... Uh, that I was really close with, got me for a lot of money, and every time I saw them drive, drive down the road in their truck, you know what I thought in my heart? 
I just wish they would park that truck. I'd go right over here to Walmart, and I'd buy me a bag of sugar, and I'd come pour it right down that. That's your preacher this evening. <laughs> I, I did. Because I'm sitting there thinking, you owe me a lot of money, and you're driving a brand-new truck. I wish it'd break down. I'd help it. And God dealt with me on that, and dealt with me on that, and dealt with me on that. And every time I saw the person, not just resentment, but a hate would swell up in my heart. And God dealt with me. And God, until I got so tired of him dealing with, it, dealing with me about it that I asked him to take it from me. And I prayed and I said, God, take this from me. Take this from me. Take this. I don't want resentment. I, I want to be able to forgive him because if I need forgiveness and I come to you needing forgiveness, I want you to forgive me so I don't want to be all messed up. So I need you to take this from me. Will you take this from me? And I asked and I asked and I asked. And you know what God finally said to me? Call him up and take him out to eat. I don't want to take him out. I want to pour sugar in his gas tank. I already told you that. <laughs> He said, call him up and take him out to eat. I called him. Phone's ringing. Go to voicemail. Go to voicemail. Go to, if it goes to voicemail, I'm not leaving one. Just go to, just go to voicemail. Hello? <laughs> hey, man, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going over here to this job. What are you doing? I'm fixing to eat lunch. Going to Lupe's. Anybody else sad Lupe's closed down? Anyway, I'm going to Lupe's. You ought to come with me. I want to buy you lunch. Well, all right, all right. I got just a couple things I need to do, and I'll be right there. He came over. I did not one time mention anything about any bad business. I didn't, and I didn't even say, hey, man, let's make this water under the bridge. I forget. I didn't even do that. I just said, let me buy you lunch. He came over, I bought his lunch, everything was good, had a great time. And you know what God reminded me of during all that? God reminded me of all the good times we had had. We sat there and we talked and we laughed. And all the years that I spent with that much just hate in my heart was for nothing because as soon as I did what God told me to do, he erased it took it away and I got my friend back you got to refuse to resent the devil will make things be a whole lot bigger than what they are the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil somebody got you for money and it tears you up real 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 real, real bad you probably love that money too much apparently you loved it more than you loved the person Amen? you got to refuse to resent. Because if you're walking around with bitterness in your heart, you cannot be content. We'll hurry through these next two. You got to recognize the season. Verse 12 says this, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both 
to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You have to recognize the seasons. You've got to realize that there are ups and downs in this life. Every man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That there's, it's going to rain on the just and it is going to rain on the unjust. That just because something bad is going on in your life, it does not mean God hates you. It does not mean God is mad at you. It, does, it just means he's showing you something. And you got to say, God, what are you showing me? And sometimes these seasons last for a week. Sometimes they last for a month. Sometimes they last for a year. But either way, it doesn't matter how long the season is. you got to recognize that it is a season. And you need that season in order to grow. You realize that there are fruits that cannot grow without, without all four seasons coming into play? There, there are fruits and there are vegetables that, that even during the winter time, those vegetables, those plants, they will go dormant during the winter time. And without that dormant time, without that time of rest, without that time of change, they would not produce fruit when their season comes back around. Now I want to tell you this. If you're going through something and you are not content, you're going through something and you're saying, there's no way that I can be content where I'm at right now, you need to know that where you are at right now and be confident is on the path to where God has taken you and at the end of this path, you're going to see fruit. You may be in a dormant stage right now. Somebody, God is talking to somebody right now. You may be in a dormant stage right now in your life. You may feel dry. You may feel dead. You may just want to escape, but I promise you this, that at the end of this season, you will see fruit again. You will blossom. You, and your fruit will not just be there, but it will abound and it will remain. And you're going to see God do something great in your life that you never thought possible. You may be in a dormant season right now, but that's all a part of where God has taken you. And you've got to see it for that. You can't see it as this is hell on earth. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. God must hate me. He must have turned the devil loose against me. But this is a place that God has me for now. And because you know that he's bringing you out victorious on the other side, you can be content even in a dormant season. And number three, or I'm sorry, D. Wherever I'm at. You have to reserve your supply. You have to reserve your supply. You need some verses in your heart. We can all go and do Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's an easy one. We can all do John 3.16. 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. And, and you need to have these verses that are in your heart. Because it's, you don't just memorize verses so that you have verses. Oh, I'm, look at all the verses I can do. I know guys that do that and they can just rattle them off. And all, but the purpose of it is not just to say, hey, I know a bunch of verses. The purpose of having those verses in your heart, the Bible says that His Word is our sword. That's how we go into this battle. That's how we go and we fight. And that's how we go and we go up against the devil and we go up against the things is by having those verses. But not just verses, songs. You need to have some songs in your heart. I saw where Miss Lana Bird posted on Facebook today. She was like, you know, I don't listen to anything except for contemporary Christian music and gospel music and all this. And that's great. And I try to do that too. 
But every once in a while, I slip back into some Hank. But, I mean, sweet home Alabama. I mean, come on. We got to have some Leonard Skinner. There. No, I'm just kidding. You don't really have to have it. But, but she said, you know, all I listen to is, is Christian music. And I've been house-sitting for this lady. And she said, no, all she listens to is the real, real old country. And she said, and I'm so depressed. She said, every one of these songs reminds me of this past ex-husband or something, I don't know, but it was, it was on about all that stuff. And she said, she said I, I just choose not to listen to it. And I'm not telling you to choose not to listen to any of that stuff. I'm, that's between you and God. You, you do you. Well, let me say, you, you let Jesus do you. That's what you need to do. Let him tell you what you can listen to and what you can't listen to. He'll convict you, I promise but I will say this, you need to be praying over the music that you're listening to. And you're, if you're driving around listening to a bunch of trash, you need to get rid of it. I, I can tell you that much for sure. But I'll say this, you get you some good music, and you get you a good song in your heart, and whenever these things come against you and all this, there ain't nothing like the devil's wanting to ride your back, and you decide to rejoice by choice, and you pop out a song, right? I'm fixing to do it now. You pop out a song, I mean, and you just fire it back at him. The devil's on your back telling you you're worthless, you're no good, you're no count, and you ain't never going to be anything for God. And you say, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me way up high and set my feet upon the mountaintop. Oh, just think of it. The Lord and King, the creator of everything, loves me with a love that won't stop. Man, you throw some of that out at him, he's going to leave you alone. And all of a sudden, the spirit of the devil is going to have to get out of that place, whichever devil is following you around. And the spirit of the Lord is going to enter in, and you are going to have yourself a time in Jesus. But you've got to have it in your heart. If it ain't in your heart, you ain't going to be able to fire it back at him. <laughs> you ain't going to be able to fire back with Birmingham loves the governor, and, you know. <laughs> I say some of the dumbest stuff sometimes. Y'all are entertaining me anyway, though. But I'm telling you, you got to have something you can give back to him. You, the devil, we talked about the fight earlier and beating against the air, just swinging at stuff and missing, swinging and missing. The devil don't miss very often. He don't. He knows your weak spot. He knows the buttons to push. He knows that you will not be content if you don't have a reserve supply that you can fire back at that joker. And there's a lot of times that you just need to tell him he's a piece of trash and he's going to hell and you're going to heaven and that you've already won. I, mean, I may be in a battle and you may get the best of me every once in a while. But at the end of this thing, we have already won the war. And you're going off into the pit with your demons and with your angels. And I'm going into heaven with my Savior where there is already a mansion that's prepared for me. And I've got a home and I've got family and I've got people waiting on me on the other side. So you just need to shut up.
And then whenever you hear your kid tell the devil to shut up, then you give him five. You don't tell him, you don't say shut up. No, if he, you, you tell them, <laughs> you tell your kids, they can tell the devil to shut up. Amen. How many of you are glad you came to church tonight? Amen. I am too. I hope and I pray with all my heart that you leave out of here content. In the areas of your life that, that maybe you're going through something that you're not content, you ask God to show you what you need to do to be content in those areas. And I promise you, this is not a one, two, three, four automatic boom. I'm content now. This doesn't work that way. But if you'll put these four things into your daily practice, I guarantee you, you'll see what true contentment really is all about. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this day. God, we thank you for all the many blessings of life. Lord, we pray.